0: I have an interesting passage to preach through this morning. It's in Zechariah 5. And I don't know if uh, any of you have had the opportunity to, to look over it, but I don't think it's going to be easy to connect with you this morning. It's about uh, not hiding from God. It's about God judging sin. It's about God removing wickedness. Most of you are aware in our staff meetings on Wednesday, it's really just a time for the staff to get together to study God's Word and prayer and pray. We have about 15 minutes of, of doing administrative stuff, and we always look at the passage uh, that's going to be preached the following Sunday, and whoever's preaching usually leads the Bible study. And because of the, the intensity of the passage, what we did this Wednesday was we just read the passage. And then we went around the room, it's about 11 or 12 folks, we went around the room and I, I asked them, what's the first thing that popped into your minds as we read this text? And I'm going to share that with you this morning. It's going to be a little different for you because we're going to read the text afterwards, but I think it will uh, help you understand what it is we're going to do this morning and what we're going to talk about if we get those first ideas out of our heads. So as we're working around the room, the the first person, after we read the text, because it is about judgment and it is about sin, the first person, and I think I'm, I'm going in the right order. I won't tell you who they are. The first person said, wow, it's pretty specific. It's pretty detailed about how God's going to go about judging the world. Now, the second person came along, realized we're preaching... I'm going to be preaching about a flying scroll going across the sky. I'm going to be teaching and preaching about judgment going into the houses. I'm going to talk to you about a woman that's portrayed as wickedness. And the next person said, when I hear this passage begun, I think of a, not a flying scroll, but a flying squirrel. So let's get that out of the way. It's not about a squirrel. Another person, or maybe the same person, said, when I read this passage or when I hear this passage read, I think of this, is this really going to happen, and who are these people it's going to happen to? Because I don't want to be these people. And then a, a lady, one of the ladies with us, said, Todd, I'm, I'm really glad that there are actually two women that are taking away the women of wickedness, or the woman of wickedness, otherwise you'd have a hard time connecting with the women. It reminded somebody of the angel of death that entered into the houses of the Egyptians when God redeemed his people. It's a reminder, somebody else said it was a reminder of the law, because we have a scroll, and on this scroll, on two sides are, are written the commandments of God. So it reminded them of Moses bringing down the Ten Commandments. Talked about a billboard because it's a big scroll. It's almost the size of a billboard. And somebody said, We have a billboard of law and we have a billboard of grace. Somebody else said it reminded them of Ezekiel when Ezekiel was called to eat the scroll of judgment. And then the last person, my favorite, they just looked at all of us and said, What? Zechariah, in fact, the whole Bible is all about the fact that we have a personal, we have a near, we have a present God who wants to be with us. He not only wants to be with us, but He wants to be close to us, which is unique, which is different from any other religion in the world. The God who created us, created us simply to be with His creation. He wants us to experience completeness in a loving, accepting relationship. And I will submit to you this morning that that's what every one of us here, whether you are a Christian here this morning, whether you're struggling with your Christianity, whether you're not a Christian, this is what we all yearn for because this is what we were created for, to be with God. But there's something inside of us really deep down. Because we've been broken, because we are broken, because we break things, all of us. It makes us Go at being loved by God in a convoluted and, and messed up way. I'll give you a picture. Y'all know those uh, those craft sand jars? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you made them in vacation Bible school when you were a little kid, and you'd pour all the different colored sand into this pretty little jar, and it. It really wasn't that good, but you'd take it home and your mama would go all, you know, be excited about it and say it's great, but you knew it really wasn't that good because it wasn't around the next week. (laughs) Well, picture, picture a really, really beautiful piece of glass with somebody that really knows exactly what they're doing, pouring brilliant, beautiful, different colors of sand into this glass so that when you set it up on a shelf, it automatically draws your attention to it because it's so beautiful and you just want to sit there and gaze at this beautiful piece of, of, of sand art. You see, God created us as these unique and beautiful creatures and instead of being perfect, we're like a sand jar that's been dropped and shook up and all the sand is out of place and while the colors are still the same, the sand is still there. It's just not pretty to look at. In fact, the glass may even be a little bit broken. So now we, we try to put our sand jars back together again so that they look pretty and people want to gaze at them. The problem is we can't put it back together. And we go at getting all those things that we were created for and we can't do it. Or we go at it in all the wrong ways. But we're broken and we can't fix ourselves. So we do, do, we do things like this. We take a gift that God gives man to gladden his heart, wine. And instead of drinking a glass before dinner or a glass after dinner, We end up drinking the whole bottle, and and then we Christians, we say things like, oh, that's okay, I'm free to do that because I'm not a legalist. And then God looks at that and he says, that's not freedom, that's sin. Or we all want to be loved by another human being, so we find a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, or a wife, and we think that they're going to make us complete, and because they don't really end up doing what we thought they were going to do. We end up doing things in our relationship for the wrong reason at the wrong time, and we end up being hurt. We can see it in our world today, can we not? In the public arena, especially now, half the people want the government to provide security and safety. The other half want to make sure that we're helping people that have not been as blessed as us. Both sides want justice. Both sides want righteousness. And the bottom line is each side ends up hating each other and I'm pretty sure that's not right. You see, we don't have the ability to put those beautiful glassed sand jars together again. We don't have the ability to bring about righteousness because of the truth the truth of the matter is, God is the only one who's truly righteous, and He alone can make the only proper judgments. Because if somebody's going to make something right again, He has to make a judgment to fix the wrong. And that's what our passage is all about. God must judge evil, sin, and wickedness if we, as His people, are going to experience what it means to be made right what it means to be complete. That's what our passage is all about. It talks about sin, it talks about judgment, it talks about wickedness, but it's all about God promising to make all things right again, and it's something that we all need, and it's something that we all want, and it can only be done by God. So I hope I've connected a little bit with you about this passage. So if you open up your bulletins or your Bibles, we're going to read Zechariah chapter 5. I'd ask that you would read it along with me. Beginning in verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, a flying scroll. He said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll, its length is 20 cubits, its width is 10 cubits, and then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and he said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted up, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back down into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. And then I lifted my eyes, and I saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. And I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. It's a good vision, isn't it? It's an interesting vision, isn't it? It's God's word. It's, God, it's powerful. It's living. It's ever working, and it's always effective. Let's pray. Father, we do. We, we, we read this vision in Zechariah, and we acknowledge... We don't know exactly what it is you would have us know, not in and of ourselves. And yet you promised to speak to us this morning. You promised us that your Spirit will teach us the things that we need to be taught. And I pray that you would work now, even through this weak, sinful man. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, look. Reality is this. And I like this. We can't hide from God. We can't hide our broken jars of sand art. We can't hide our brokenness and our sin. We can't hide the fact from God that we are sinners and we sin. Christian or not. Number two, God must deal with this sin. And if he's going to deal with the sin, he's got to judge the sin. And I, don't, I know we don't like the term judgment, but we do have to realize that every time that, that we make a distinction between something good or bad, something better or best, we are making a judgment. And then lastly, God promises to remove sin. I mean, if you will, God promises to recreate, remake, and re-pour all that beautiful sand back in those sand jars so that they will be beautiful. And so that we'll want to lift up our eyes and be amazed. First thing that we need to talk about is found in verses 1 through 3, that there is no hiding from God. Lifted up my eyes, I see this flying scroll. It's a big, big scroll. It's actually 30 feet by 15 feet on one side. It has written the curses uh, f- uh, the curses to everybody who steals. On the other side, if you swear falsely, and it's, it's, if you want to look out the window, there's a big scroll with our sin moving right across. It's probably a reference, like uh, one of the people in our staff meeting said, it's probably a reference to the Ten Commandments. When Moses comes down from the mountain, uh, the stone tables inscribed on both sides. This is just bigger, it's much bigger, and you can't just hide it in a box. And it's referencing those who are not living faithfully, particularly those who steal, those who speak untruths, but realize if you're, if you're going to lie and if you're going to steal, you're not loving God. You're not loving your neighbor. And James basically says, if you break one of these commandments, then you break all of the commandments. It's not like you can simply pick and choose. It is a reminder at the beginning of this vision to Zechariah, who is communicating to God's people, that God knows what's going on inside of us. He knows what's going on inside here. He knows what's going on inside the body of believers at Redeemer. He knows what's going on in the world. He sees the problems, not just the problems that we think are problems, but the problems that are truly problems. And God is saying, here, if you don't want to live with me in the way that I created you, if you don't want to live in my presence, then you will experience life without me in exile. In fact it's a reminder to the people of Zechariah probably of the fact of why they went into exile to begin with because as Zechariah comes and preaches to God's people they'd already been sent out to the land of Babylon because they didn't live faithfully. And God in his grace comes back to them and he brings them back and he says now build my temple so that I can live in your presence and Zechariah is reminding them maybe of what happened in the past or he could be reminding them of what could happen again. It's all pointing to the fact that sin has consequences and you can't hide sin and evil from our creator. So the first thing that uh, I'd like for us to think about, how has this picture, he says, what are you going to do? He's talking to his church planners. I'm sure many of you have, have heard about it before. What are you going to do if you have to stand up in front of everybody and hold your hands out and God pulls down your pants? And we all laugh, and I I laugh, but it gets to something deep, doesn't it? What would happen if everybody saw what was inside here? I think of those guys on Atlanta Highway, you know, they got those big old signs standing on the highway and they're moving them back and forth, and they're advertising mattresses or whatever, come on in for 60 bucks and get you a good mattress. What would happen if you were standing on the side of the road and all those thoughts that we sometimes think that we're smart enough not to say? Some of those things we do in the confines of our own home some of those things we do when we're not around our christian friends what if what if we were to write them on a big board and just kind of shake you know move it back and forth as people were driving by those of you who are married how's it going some of you may have boyfriends or girlfriends how's that going I may not know what's going on in your life. Your friends may not know what's going on in your life, but God knows. And I I think we need to stop here a minute because if we're honest, none of us here today, none of us are who we'd really like to be. And we do like to sugarcoat our sin, don't we? I love to see some of those bad people out in the world because it sure does make me feel better about I'm not that bad. We don't like to admit it, but in and of ourselves, we are not right. And we think it's just little bitty sins, but you realize this idea of righteousness, if it were a straight line, God's righteousness, his perfection, if it were a straight line, you realize if we get off just a little bit and if you you draw a trajectory down to the end of our lives, you realize that gap gets really big. And you know what's in that gap? Wickedness. deep down inside, in and of myself, and this goes for you as well, if we're just a little bit selfish, deep down inside, we're really wicked. And we don't think of ourselves as wicked. We're not righteous. And the opposite of righteousness is wickedness. There's no hiding it from God. And God, because of who He is, he has to deal with sin, which is really our next point is found in verse 4. God has to deal with sin, and He deals with it by judging it. I've got to preach what's in the text. He says, I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely, and it shall remain in his house, and it will consume it, both timber and stones. You see, judgment entails separation. And you have to separate if it's all going to be made right again. And realize, even, we even talked about it even throughout the, the worship service. You see, we seem to want to make things right. And we think we're the ones who know what needs to be right. The problem is we never think it has anything to do with us. It's always somebody else that needs to be made right. And I need you to understand, you realize this passage is just not talking about the world. This, is, this passage is not talking about unbelievers. It makes it a little bit easier for me. If you're an unbeliever here, this passage, Zechariah is talking to the covenant community. And he's saying, sin will be judged in the church. He says, I will send it out. It's an indictment against sin. Judgment will come because sin can't be hint, hidden. It even enters into the houses, those, those private places where we think it doesn't matter to anybody else. I'm just doing it in my own house. It's a purging and a cleansing. And, and do you realize if, if we want to be made right again, we need to be purged, we need to be cleansed. You know, by the way, this has everything to do with the marketplace. Theft and lying, oath, symbolism, not only here, but in the next part of the vision where where we have that big lead basket where that woman is in that lead basket portraying wickedness. The the Hebrew word is actually an ephah. An ephah is a a, a basket of measurement. Zechariah is talking about all these things that God's people do Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. Not what they do on Sunday. Moves us into the world of commerce. It's a love for the glory of the world and its values. And and here's the idea. If it distracts us from living in a close relationship with our Creator, then God has to deal with it because it will ruin us. God has to deal with those things that divide us from Him. You could say judgment is a separation of truth from the lie. Separating what's bad for us so that good is left. You see, God has to judge sin because he has to come and he has to take away anything that moves us away from his presence because we were created to live with him. Let me say it like this. The Shorter Catechism, the Shorter Catechism says sin is disobeying or not conforming to God's law in any way. And that is very true. Your children probably have memorized it. But you need to know that the law is a reflection of who God is. And because we're created in the image of God, it's a picture of what we were intended to be. But as we've already said, the image is broken. Not only is is the sand out of place, but the jar that the sand goes into, it's cracked and we can't fix it. And by the way, we're the ones who broke it. And see, the, the, what we're doing, hiding from God and hiding our sin, really what we're trying to do is fix the glass jars by ourselves. We're, we're trying to bring in our, our own righteousness to the story. And in reality, all we're doing is hiding from God and hiding from other people. I mean, who here really wants to be fully known? Aren't you afraid that if you're fully known to to somebody that you might even think loves you, if they fully know you, might it make them cringe? You see, in reality, we're only hiding from God. We're trying to put the sand back in place to fix the glass jar, and we're pretending it looks good, and it doesn't. So, what God is saying is, I'm going to fix this for you, I am going to put you back together. Which leads to our last point. I mean, I, I do think, if you're honest with yourself, you, you realize if, if God is truly the, the creator God, we can't hide from him. And if God is who he says he is, he, he, if he's going to make things right, he's got to make a judgment on what is wrong. And even though we don't want to hear it, and even though we don't want to believe it, if it's going to be right again, this is our third point, God has to remove sin totally and finally. And that's what the last vision is all about. Right? We, we have There's a basket that's going out. Look at verses 5 through 11. There's iniquity in all the land that's in the basket. There's this lead cover that's, that's holding down the iniquity because, because God wants Zechariah to see what's in the basket. Lifts up the basket and this 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 woman sitting in the basket and he says it's wickedness and he pushes her back in and these two other women come up with with big wings like of storks and the wind is blowing in the wings and these women take the basket out. And wickedness here is portrayed as a woman, not because women are bad, not because we can blame all our problems on women. We know that's not true. Wickedness is portrayed as a woman here because it captures the essence of the idea that evil is not abstract, it's concrete, it has a face on it, and it's real. We're seeing wickedness removed from the realm of God's people. You have the wings of these two birds taking away this evil pushed by the wind, which by the way, the Hebrew word for wind is spirit. The essence, God is removing evil. God is removing sin. God is removing wickedness by His Spirit. There's a picture. The picture comes up again in the book of Revelation. There's a woman covered with purple, scarlet, gold, and jewels. She's holding in her hand a cup full of abomination and iniquities and immorality. And on her forehead is written, Babylon the Great. That's the reference to Shinar. Shinar Babylon. It's the place of evil and, and evil is removed. I mean, and when you think about this, here's my concern. You're sitting here thinking about this, and you're saying, I can't hide from God. God's going to judge what I'm trying to hide, and he's going to remove this, this sin, this evil, this wickedness, and we're saying, oh, no, this is bad news, and I'm saying absolutely not. I'm saying this is what we all yearn for. This is what the world yearns for. This is why people are out there protesting today. They want things to be made right. They just can't even figure out what the problem is. And neither can we on our own, let alone fix it. You see, we want to be made right, we want to experience what it means to be righteous, and if that's going to happen, the good news here, the promise here, is that God is going to do it, and He's promising to do it, and He's promising to put things back together again. He's promising to make us, His people, something beautiful again. And Zechariah is speaking to God's people, wanting them to be encouraged. That's the whole point of Zechariah. And the reason this is encouraging is because he's reminding God's people at a particular place in time where things don't seem to be going the way they're supposed to be going. And Zechariah is saying, in spite of what's going on in your own hearts, in spite of what's going on in the covenant community, in the church, in spite of what's going on in the world, I am going to bring about what you were created for. And I want to say it like this. God is committed to redeeming the entire creation from the effects of sin, and He will not be satisfied until the entire universe has been purged of all the result of man's fall. Is that not beautiful? Is that not what you want? For the people of Zechariah's day, they were to hold on to the promise that God would one day send a Savior into the world to make all things right. And guess what? That Savior surprised them. Why did that Savior surprise them? Because He came humbly in weakness riding on a donkey. That's what Zechariah 9 through 14 is all about. But we do know that this Savior came, and He came with power. And yes, it was humble power, but we know that the blind received sight, the lame walked, lepers were cleansed, the deaf heard, and the poor had good news preached to them. And those in Zechariah's day who looked to the coming king were saved because that Savior took the judgment that this passage talks about. It took Him on Himself so they wouldn't have to, and they were made righteous and they now live in peace. For us today, we look back and we know this Savior took the judgment for sin, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and in His death. He took the judgment that was due us. He took it on Himself so that we wouldn't experience the judgment that's pictured in this section of Scripture. What else is it that Paul is talking about? Listen to these words. God made Him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Judgment has come. Because God has come in Christ Jesus. And if you're found in Him, you live. And I want to stop here because, I mean, I still got, this, is, this is great. And don't worry, I'm not going to take up all the time. But I want us to really delve into this for a second. If you look into your own hearts, I mean, think about this. I mean, come on, engage me here. If you look into your own hearts, and if you look around the world, even if you look in our church, you should be saying it doesn't seem to have worked yet. Or at least some aspects. Ah, it's not what I expected it to be. I mean, if you're a Christian here this morning, are you not still battling with sin in your own life? I am. And if you're not, I need to have lunch with you. Hal needs to have lunch with you. Matt, Rob, somebody, one of our elders, somebody... We're still battling sin in our hearts, aren't we? Aren't there days in the Christian life where it doesn't seem to be working? Or look, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you ought to be saying, you got to be kidding me. Look at all the protests. Look at all the injustice in the world. Look at all the evil in the world. Look at all the unfairness. Which is exactly why Zechariah is saying what he's saying. This is why God is giving him these visions, because we are to understand that something more is going on behind simply what we see and touch. Right, Jesus Christ has come, and so has his kingdom. But right now, it's gradual. It's largely internal. It's hidden. It's not visible to the the physical eyes. It's subject to all sorts of imperfections now. Do you realize that's what the life of faith is all about? Because if everything were were to be made right now, there would be many of us that are not ready. Because there will come a day when you won't have to live by faith. Do you realize that? That will be the day when Jesus Christ comes back and He will come catastrophically in a way that everybody will see and it will culminate in complete perfection, righteousness, and power. But if you are not found in Jesus Christ, the one who took this judgment, then you will have to be judged on your own. Because sin can't be ignored by God. If God were to come now in power, in Christ Jesus, many of us would be crushed. So how does this help us? All right, if you're a Christian here this morning... We're being called to live by faith in the Son of God who came to die in our place to take the judgment for the sin that was ours so that we could be made righteous so that we could then live a life as it was intended to be. Not perfectly, but it's moving towards that day of perfection. And if that has happened to you, then then it is true and it should resonate with you that this judgment that's so scary in this passage has already happened and it was all poured out on the person of Jesus Christ. Which means this, you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. You can acknowledge that you are a lousy, weak sinful human being that God is working mightily in your life to put you back together again. And one day in the future, everything's going to be made right. And you can rejoice even in your weakness. And there's nothing more freeing than that. And when you realize that, then you're able to help other people. In fact, God allows you to participate in His kingdom building, or if you want to put it the way we've been talking about, he allows you to participate, helping other people uh, put back their glass jars. Sand art. Not only that, Because you don't have to always worry about where every particular little grain of sand needs to go. You're just busy busy going about life the best way you can. And it doesn't mean that, all we're free to sin, but it does mean we're free to do the best that we can to please God because we know that God has already worked in our lives. It is powerful. God has taken the judgment on himself so that we would become the righteousness of God and we are now free to live for something bigger than ourselves. I, I hope all of you know that. And here's the other thing. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is still good news. And it's good news because this morning God himself, through the prophet Zechariah, he is saying this to you, that I love you so much, that I want you to be with you so much, that I want you to experience being fully loved and fully accepted. I want you to experience me putting your little glass jars and sand jars back together again, and all you have to do is trust me to do it. All you have to do is trust the one who has taken the judgment due you. He's taken it on himself, and in that place, he gives you righteousness. I mean, I got to tell you, I I love Zechariah. This is real. And it helps me understand what I see better now because I know what's going on behind the scenes. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. God has begun to put everything back together again, and we have the opportunity now to participate in that building of the kingdom. Would you join us? Let's pray. Father, I I, I thank you. I thank you that we cannot hide from you, and we don't have to hide from you. I thank you that we don't have to hide from you because of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that truth would settle down deep into our hearts and it would change us from the inside out. And that you would work mightily among the people here at Redeemer and that we would, those of us who know you, we we would rest in it more. And those of us who don't know you, would you make it real even now? Thank you that you've dealt with sin, that you've taken the judgment, And we now live in Jesus Christ. Amen.